The cornerstone of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. That creates the fearlessness you need to address fear directly, unmask it, discern its meaning, the heartache goes away, you become fearless, and that leads to a spiritual understanding of self. As love, the absence of otherness, you are the one life, you are the source. Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning from Southern California, from the desert outside Palm Springs. My name is Michael Benner, and this is the Wisdom of the Soul. Appreciate you joining us live whenever you can, 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Otherwise, we're available in its entirety as a video on YouTube. Just search Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Also, a uh, edited version is available as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I want to mention that uh, we had one person leave our Saturday group, which opens up a seat. We're limited to 10 in that group. It's an intensive, it's sort of an advanced class also. And so if you're interested, you can learn more about it on my website, michaelbenner.com. Just click on, I think it says personal development or classes and training or some such thing. And, um, you can read about it. Again, it's called the Salon, the Studio Salon, or the Wisdom Salon, limited to 10. It's a Zoom class, and it's Saturdays at 11. So if you're interested in that, just shoot me an email. Uh, you'll find the email address on that website, but I'll give it to you here. I have several, but for the class AW Mystery School, at gmail.com, aw for ageless wisdom, just aw mystery school at gmail.com if you're interested in joining the Saturday class. This is class number 80, and it occurred to me that after more than a year and a half, I've yet to do a class about the topic of my book, which I published about five years ago called fearless intelligence. So that's our topic, fearless intelligence. What in the world is fearless intelligence? I have always intended it to be a kind of a bridge, a transition from emotional intelligence to what we might call spiritual intelligence or awareness. As I mentioned in this week's newsletter, we all know about mental intelligence because our parents sent us to school and the government made sure there were free public schools 
And it was a time when everybody was in favor of that and recognized that public education was for the greater good of all. So you paid for public school and your property taxes, even if you didn't have children, because you benefited from a well-educated society. Not everybody agrees with that anymore. But um, I think most enlightened and well-educated people do. My point is simply that we learned about mental intelligence, but nobody taught us about emotional intelligence. In fact, it wasn't until the mid-1990s that the first books about emotional intelligence became available based on research that really began in the 80s. There was just very little interest in psychology before the 1980s in the nature of emotions. Most people, I think, considered emotions to be mostly negative. Uh, there are positive emotions, of course, happiness and joy and contentment and, and peace of mind. But the so-called negative emotions are the ones that hurt. And I think generally they were just seen as a uh, phenomena of mind, of our existence, that interfered with clear thinking. So the idea of emotions being a form of intelligence is a little counterintuitive if you consider that times that we get emotionally uh, worked up with these negative emotions, this heartache, this, this uh, well, upset, anger, frustration, whatever the, whatever the hurtful feeling, irritation, frustration, humiliation. Uh, when that tends to happen, our, our ability to be reasonable and, and lucid in our thinking, much less creative, just goes right out the window. So what do you mean emotional intelligence? When I get emotional, I, <laughs> my intelligence becomes less available. And yet there is such a thing, and we're going to talk about it today. There are really four basic emotions. Some systems say six. And this is from clinical psychology, sort of the, the basic understanding of emotion. Not everybody agrees with the model, but the basic model of uh, four emotions, four core fundamental emotions is happiness and sadness, anger and fear. That's your baseline. Happiness, sadness, anger, and fear. Now, I'm quick to point out that fear is an element of the anger and the sadness. And so we could really break it down to happiness and fear or more commonly, it's described as love and fear. Now, the love is real. It's delight. Fear is the shadow. It's devoid of substance. Fear is about, as we'll discuss today in depth, what we do not know, what we do not understand. You know, hey, Michael, what are you afraid of? I don't know. I can't figure it out. Well, why, why are you so stressed, so anxious? That, I, I, I don't know. Well, that's the point. That's what fear is. It has nothing at all to do with danger. And sometimes a clinician will, you know, a psychologist, a psychiatrist will say, no, 
there's a difference between fear and anxiety. That uh, anxiety is what you're talking about. What do you say? Uncertainty or things that are confusing or unawareness or, or ignorance, for example. But fear is a response to danger, real or imagined, but some sort of threat or hazard. Okay, but to me, it's all fear. And I'll tell you why. The reason I say it's all fear, whether we call it anxiety or stress or tension or pressure or worry or doubt or, you know, it could run the gamut from panic and horror to nervousness and mild apprehension or, well, I'm not afraid. I have my concerns. Well, come on. A little or a lot. It's all fear. And all fear, whatever its name, is what we don't know. Even if danger is present and clear, some real threat, the fear is a function of what you don't know about the danger. And we can prove that by looking at times where we learn about danger, we understand it better, and the danger may remain constant, but the fear diminishes. This is why we did fire drills as little kids in school or in California earthquake drills or ducked cover, nuclear war drills. <laughs> Not so funny, but makes me laugh as if we could survive such a thing. Uh, the Boy Scouts, be prepared. That's what that's all about. The more you know about the thing that frightens you, listen to this carefully. The more you know about whatever it is that frightens you, the less fear there is. Fear, by any name, is extremely debilitating. It not only debilitates your body's immune system and leads to so-called dis-ease, that's why we call illness disease. It's a good health and well-being comes from being at ease. So illness is dis-ease. There's a stress-related component, a fear-based component in, in illness. It's not the whole story, of course. There's bacteria and viruses and mutagens and carcinogens and genetic proclivities and there's certainly many, many other diet, you know, so many other factors, but fear plays a very important role in healing or uh, illness, depending on which side of the coin you look at. It also shatters and scatters awareness. Fear, anxiety, stress, can't concentrate. Um, it's hard to focus your attention to even know what to do to get your feet on the ground. Fear just says run, turn and run, right? F-E-A-R, forget everything and run. You probably have also heard the acronym false evidence appearing real, which is more the truth of fear. It's a shadow. It can be scary. We're coming up on Halloween, shadows and, you know, why is the shadow scary? Why is the dark alley scary? Because you can't see, because you don't know what's in there. What's the solution? Turn on the light. Oh, I see you. There's nothing scary in there at all. 
So you can see how we conflate the idea that fear is about danger with not knowing. And the more you know about a particular danger, the less frightening it is. People who study snakes, for poisonous snakes, for example, that snake is just as dangerous to them as to any, anyone else. Poisonous snake is a poisonous snake, but they have less fear of it because they understand its behavior. They watch it. They know how to handle it. They're, you know, if they're going to grab it, they're going to grab it right behind the head, not by the tail. And so there's less fear. That's true of everything else. It could be the fear of flying, the fear of relationships, the fear of failure, the fear of success. Fear of success is every bit as frightening as, a, as the fear of failure. So, as we've said before, we get stuck in this. Fear, anxiety, stress, we get stuck. We're really holding on. Well, if fear is the shadow cast by the light, the light is love, which very important that we understand is not an emotion, not really an emotion. It trickles down into the emotional nature, so there are emotional qualities of love, like happiness, or joy, or peace, or contentment. But love itself is consciousness. It's the fact that you're aware, that you're sentient, that you're responsive, that you're alert. That's what capital L love is. Spiritual love, so-called agape, is awareness and the understanding that there's only one of us here. Of the many definitions of love, I think my favorite is the absence of otherness. And think about times that you love. You feel separation falling away, don't you? That loneliness goes away because you're not alone. But beyond that, I mean, just a walk in the woods will do it. You just begin to feel a connection to the earth and, and the trees and the birds and the sky. And you don't feel that alienation, that isolation, that aloneness. I did a class a few months ago here on loneliness and suggesting it's really not what it seems for we could be lonely in a group of people, in a crowd of people, in a big family with lots of friends. You can still nevertheless feel alone. It seems to be a component of sadness and depression. So love is real. Fear is an illusion. It's just love is understanding. Doesn't that flow, love and understanding? And then fear is ignorance. Oh, I get it. How does love drive out fear? The same way understanding drives out ignorance. It's an aha. The light comes and you see. That's what love is. It's conscious awareness. Oh, I see. There's nothing to fear here. That's the journey. And then out of that, again, trickling down into these basic emotions, there is the happiness that is a quality of love. And then sadness, anger, fear itself. And some models say there are six basic emotions, and they would include surprise, which is very closely related to fear. 
somebody surprises you and you jump and you probably will say, oh, you scared me, when in fact they just surprised you. So those are very closely allied. And disgust. In fact, if you look at it, you'll see that all of these so-called negative feelings, I always hesitate to probably heard me say this, to refer to hurtful feelings as negative because they're actually so rich and so valuable. And if they're valuable, why would you call them negative? We call them negative because they hurt. And we don't want to hurt, right? So again, if all of our hurtful feelings are supported by fear, and fear is what we don't understand, then the way to heal all of our heartache and all of our emotional pain is to understand it. And how is this different from physical pain? It should be obvious. If physical pain is a symptom of your condition and, and replete with clues or cues to reveal what's wrong, and what about this condition needs to be corrected or brought into balance, then why would that not also be true about emotional pain, that there are symptoms, you see? But we're much more likely to accept responsibility for our physical pain. We know it's our pain. We have a problem accepting responsibility for our emotional pain. We play victim. And we think our emotional pain is done to us by outside forces. And so we obsess on the individual or the group that hurt us or the event or the circumstance or condition that's causing this emotional anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, humiliation, whatever. And as long as we obsess on the stimulus, we're going to ignore our opportunity to choose a response. Fearless intelligence is a stage where you understand this whole process. And it doesn't mean that you are never frightened or stressed or anxious or afraid. It just means that you know what to do with it, which is face it, embrace it, discern its meaning and significance, and phew, it goes away. It falls away. Right? Just like the symptoms of disease fall away as you get healthy again, right? You get a common cold, you're sick for a few days, and as the body heals itself, all those symptoms, the runny nose, the watery eyes, the sneezing, the cough, falls away. Same thing with all of our heartache, all of our frustration, all of our pain, once we stop struggling against the world that is doing this to us, turn within and recognize responsibility is the ability to choose our perspective and our response. More on fearless intelligence in a minute. Let's do an opening meditation, okay? Close your eyes and relax. Get comfortable in your chairs. Maybe another deep breath and a stretch. You know, I like to make sure I'm back in my body. 
tap my feet on the floor a little bit. Good. I hope you enjoyed that. So that's the love side of things. Now, I've got to tell you that for whatever reason, maybe it's just me and my DNA, more than likely it has to do with the way I was raised and parented, and the values that I was taught on one hand and that I saw de demonstrated on the other hand, very different, lots of conflict. Uh, do what I say, not what I do, that kind of, that kind of stuff. But uh, I've always had a lot of fear as a boy, as a child, enormous amounts of fear, and was never allowed to express it. I'm sure you can relate to this. It's pretty exceptional parenting where children are allowed to be afraid or express any of the hurtful feelings that's supported by fear. What child is allowed to be angry? You see, that gets shut down. You have no right to be angry. Because the child the child's going to be angry at who? A sibling or a parent, right? So that's not going to be tolerated. You you can't be angry at me. And so what does anger trigger? Anger. And defensiveness, which is perceived by the opponent as offensive. This is an important understanding. That when you're attacked by an angry person, even if only verbally, and you defend yourself, that is perceived as an attack. You see? To the point that when the argument is over, well, you started it. No, you, I, I didn't start it. You started it. And both would, you know, swear to the heavens that uh, the other one started it. Well, it's true. When we become defensive, it's a good idea to learn to say to yourself, wait a minute. What part of me am I defending? Who am I defending? Why am I defending myself? What makes me think I need a defense? Much less, how about this? I can't let them get away with that. I'm not going to let them get away. I'm going to set them straight. They need to learn a thing or two. And I'm going to teach them. So it goes beyond defense. But that's what emotions do. Negative emotions, so-called negative emotions, hurtful emotions trigger hurtful emotions. And so I'm sure you've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. Why do hurt people hurt people? Well, often they don't know they're hurting people as a result of being hurt. But often it's not. It could be deliberate. I'm going to hurt you so that you know how you've hurt me. You see? Do you feel the separation, the object here, who is not the object there? I'm hurting, and it couldn't possibly be the result of you being hurt, because you're attacking me, and you hurt me, so now I'm going to hurt you, and it spirals up. What are you defending, and why 
I mean, let's, let's just like look beyond the need to set somebody straight or teach them a lesson or make sure they don't get away with it. <laughs> let's just put that down as an extension of defensiveness and say, what are we defending in the first place? Who are we defending? Is it possible that if you really knew the truth of who you are as love incarnate, as a child of the universe, that you wouldn't need a defense? And you wouldn't have to defend yourself. That you could be so fearless, our topic today, fearless intelligence. Forgive the plug for my book, Fearless Intelligence, available wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> could we be that fearless that we don't need to defend ourselves? Now you're bulletproof. Who's going to hurt you if you can't be hurt? If someone says, well, you're stupid, and that hurts, it's because you think maybe they have a point. You'll deny it. You'll defend yourself. I'm not stupid. You're stupid. You're stupid for thinking I'm stupid. <laughs> but if you really knew that you're not stupid, you may not be a genius, you're no Einstein, but come on, you're a pretty bright person. If you knew that, if you really, really knew that, how could that allegation, hey, you're a moron, you're an idiot, you're stupid, how could that hurt? How could the bully hurt you? If you knew the truth of who you were, you could just laugh at him and, and even have compassion for the fact that the bully is the one that's hurting. The egomaniac, the person that walks with a swagger and thinks he's really cool and all of that, and wow, he must think he's really cool and big and powerful. No, actually, the bigger the ego, the more evidence you have that the person has no idea who they are. Have some compassion for the maniacal egomaniac and the narcissist. They suffer horribly. To have to put up that kind of a front about always being right. And if only everybody did what I know to be the right thing to do, the world would work. Because I understand it. The narcissist and the marching band can be the only one out of step, but he knows or she knows that it's, it's everybody else that's out of step. The narcissist is always right. That, that, that doesn't come from confidence, quite the opposite. See, the confident person is humble and needs no defense and becomes absolutely bulletproof. That's fearless intelligence. But it's more than a decision. You can't just decide, I'm going to be fearless. Uh, if it were that easy, then perhaps it would be more common. It's a process of wading through. You gotta, you gotta clean up your mess. You gotta, you gotta go back and revisit the false assumptions that we've made about ourselves, usually in childhood. 
It takes some inner child work. It takes remembering what happened in childhood that caused you to doubt yourself and the inability to discover the truth of who you are because you couldn't express yourself. Again, who is allowed to say that they're afraid, to admit that they're afraid, or more to the point, to feel any of the hurtful feelings like anger that are supported by fear? Or whatever you're feeling. Parents will come to me for counseling and say, I talk and talk and talk until I'm blue in the face and they just don't listen to me. And that that's my cue to say, do you listen to them? See, it's scary. Parents don't want to listen to their kids say, I'm angry at you. I hate you. They don't want to hear that. But if that's the way the kid feels, he ought to be able to express himself. I love you, but I hate you. I love you, but I'm really angry. And with a little understanding, this directional nature, this is curious too, this directional nature of anger and hatred. Like, these feelings are different in that they're directed at the object. I'm angry at you. I'm angry because of you. I hate you. Other feelings aren't like that. You know, I'm sad at you. What does it make sense? I'm depressed because of you. Well, that's, that's, maybe you could make that stretch, but See how it's much easier to own the, the sadness or the depression than feelings like anger and hatred, which are very directional. So who wants to hear that stuff? Who's got the who's got the courage to sit and listen to a child unload on them so it gets repressed and the kid takes the blame, the kid takes the heat. Tell a child they're bad, they don't go to the room and go, well. I know I'm loved because I'm fed and clothed and housed and I am of them and they decided to bring me in the world. I must be loved. They just mean my behavior is bad. No child does that. They're told they're bad. They go to the room and feel I'm bad. I'm rotten. I'm uh, broken. I'm inadequate. And we carry that because, because the brain is still growing until we're 20 or 21 years old. That's wiring. That's permanently wired into your brain. So now you're 30 years old or 40 years old or 50 years old, and somebody brings up those fears of inadequacy because of the way they talk to you or, or treat you or the circumstance you find yourself in, do you realize that the feeling is really that old, that it comes from childhood? I mean, there's a reason the psychiatrist strokes his goatee and says, well, tell me about your childhood. <laughs> That's where this stuff is formed. Not all of it, but most of it. The false assumptions, the traumas, 
That's when you feel most alone, most alienated, most likely to experience depersonalization. It's so terrifying that you just leave your body sometimes. All the fears. I used to be afraid of mirrors, big animals, all kinds of things I was, I was afraid of. And more to the point, as a result, I developed my mentality. I did everything that I could to read and think and be logical and develop my ability to analyze and to reason, to be deductive, empirical, to verify, to incorporate credibility, to give attribution. I think it led a lot to my career in journalism was I was looking for the truth. And I was 10 or 15 years into being a journalist when I realized this is not the truth I was looking for. This government and politics and no, this is this is. And so I got deeper and deeper into psychology, and even that was not what I was looking for. Although I love psychology, and I've learned a lot about myself from it. And so inevitably you find philosophy. And philosophy is the search for truth. That's what philosophy is. Only it's the capital T truth. It's the search for absolutes. And then having to acknowledge that in reality, while there are absolutes, there are also relative truths. This is called the two-truth doctrine, and an understanding of it can settle a lot of arguments and <laughs> resolve a lot of the emotional angst, confusion, and unknown. Remember, that's what anxiety is, and fear by any name is. It's just what you don't know. and it comes in two forms, what you don't know about the world. That's called situational awareness or unawareness. But at the core, much more importantly and more fundamental, is what you don't know about yourself. Self-awareness or self-unawareness. So the cornerstone of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. That creates the fearlessness you need to address fear directly, unmask it, discern its meaning, the heartache goes away, you become fearless, and that leads to a spiritual understanding of self. As love, the absence of otherness, you are the one life, you are the source. <laughs>